I have the privilege to be interviewing Congressmember Karen Bass, who I've known pretty much my whole life. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of people who are flying in from out of town. Uh, so if you could just grace us telling us why Los Angeles is the place to stay and not do a round-trip flight. <laughs> well, first of all, let me welcome all of you who flew in to our great city here. And this is just a beautiful venue. But you know what I like the most about L.A. is that the whole world is here. The whole world is in L.A. and we're so big and so vast and so welcome. I hope you enjoy yourself while you're here and think about if your companies aren't here, moving them here. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, talking about companies, uh, you know, the pandemic was really challenging for a lot of people from economic recovery. And so I know that you had done a lot of things in terms of the recession uh, many years ago. So I'm curious how some of those learnings translate to navigating the past few years. Well, uh, what he's referring to is um, in 08 to 2010, I served as Speaker of the House for the state of California when we went through our worst recession since the Great Depression. We had to close a $40 billion deficit. And so dealing with COVID, uh, when COVID hit, I was chairing the Congressional Black Caucus. And so right away, we pulled all of the ethnic caucuses together, the Black, Latino, Native, um, Native American, Asian, Pacific Islander, because we knew that COVID was going to have a disproportionate impact on us, and so both health-wise and economically. So what I learned from 08 and 2010 was to jump on it immediately, not wait for the data, anticipate what the data was going to show. You can worry about collecting the data later. But no, none of us had ever experienced anything like that. You remember when the pandemic started, we thought, oh, okay, we're going to have to do this for a couple of weeks. And that was almost three years ago. <laughs> a long three weeks indeed. Uh, so, you know, Los Angeles is the manufacturing hub of the United States. We have about 18,000 manufacturers and suppliers down here. We also have the seaports, the airports, the rail. And so I'm curious as to how you think about Los Angeles from an infrastructure standpoint and how it's connecting to the rest of the country. Well, first of all, I think we need to let folks know that we're the manufacturing hub because I don't think most people recognize that, especially since we lost so much heavy industry many decades ago. So I think that LA doesn't do a great job in promoting ourselves and promoting all that we have here. Infrastructure-wise, our whole country is so far behind in terms of infrastructure. But I am hopeful that what we delivered in terms of Congress, and we actually delivered it. Democrats and Republicans came together and delivered millions of dollars. Actually, it was over a trillion in infrastructure. But now, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to get all these resources. It's another thing to actually put them into action. And so we will be able to upgrade our infrastructure. But the biggest problem in LA infrastructure-wise is traffic. If you guys have probably already experienced that, and uh, I will say that we've been building public transportation pretty much my whole life. So uh, at one point, I think one of our problems, though, is that we're so vast geographically that, you know, you can have public transportation, but it doesn't cover the whole city. So the double-edged sword of developments and being in such a premier city is that naturally there's going to be a lot of people who need homes and where they're going to live. And so conversation topic for a long time is figuring out what is happening with homelessness in Los Angeles. And I'm curious, especially between developers, nimbyism, zoning, how we're aligning different stakeholders to shelter our people. Well, but starting at the beginning, well, I think one of our core problems in Los Angeles is really profound income inequality, which you probably have already seen. The greatest manifestation of that, of course, is the fact that we have 40,000 people who are unhoused, 40,000 people who are living in these 
tent encampments around, but I have to tell you that that number is probably low because we didn't count over the last two years. We just finished the count last week, and I'm afraid that when the count actually comes out, we're going to figure that it's probably more like 60,000, 5,000 children, uh, 1,500 people died on the street in, um, in 2020. And so that is a really serious problem. And we have to look for ways to lift people up. I mean, we fought for a $15 minimum wage a few years ago, and we have it. You can't live and survive in Los Angeles on $15 an hour. The average uh, home costs between seven and $800,000. And that is in the most challenging neighborhoods that costs. So LA has become unaffordable. So we really have to deal with that. And, and the best way to deal with it is supply. So we know that we need to build 500,000 new units of housing. The problem is, is that we're already overbuilt in many neighborhoods. And so we have to, as Angelinos, come to grips with we have to make room for 500,000 more people, and that means we're going to have to have some real innovative solutions. But you're right, NIMBYism is, is alive and well. We pass ballot propositions to tax ourselves to deal with the population that's unhoused, but it costs so much that it's been very slow, and for every 200 people we take off the street, 215 more come on the street, so we have to have a comprehensive solution. And unfortunately, in some neighborhoods, as soon as the ballot propositions pass, they warned the elected officials that they would file suit if they even attempted to build housing in their neighborhoods. I'm hoping that this year people will begin to come to grips with the fact, like I said a few minutes ago, we have to make room for more Angelinos. So just to kind of focus in on that a little bit more, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of interesting solutions around, be it neighborhood REITs or uh, community land trusts. Uh, people are doing interesting things down in Destination Crenshaw, and I'm curious as to some of those kind of success stories that you are hopeful about here. Well, you know what? Uh, there are many, many success stories because there has been uh, housing built for many people. People have been brought off the street. I tell you, I've been involved in this issue for a very long time. And when homelessness was beginning to be a problem about 30 years ago in this part of town, and by the way, uh, I don't know if you realize it, but you are in the heart of South Central Los Angeles. Oftentimes people don't realize that that's where this neighborhood is. And so there were, a little bit south of here, 54 motels and no tourists. So what do you think is going on in those 54 motels? So we needed to take those motels and house people that are unhoused. We tried that 30 years ago, but it took a pandemic where we actually are starting to do that now. So thinking about communities, you know, one of my earliest memories is, uh, so born and raised here, was the restaurant down the road, burning down after the Rodney King riots. And so Los Angeles has had a notorious relationship with the police departments. And I'm curious as to how we're able to bridge those connections and once again, protect communities. We have had a notorious relationship with our police department, but only in certain neighborhoods. So in Congress, I, I led the effort around police reform with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. And one of the fundamental problems we have here is that there's two types of policing. So the policing that goes on in this neighborhood is more warrior style. The policing that goes on in affluent neighborhoods, and by the way, my congressional district goes all the way over to the border of Santa Monica, and when you're in affluent neighborhoods, the police model is more guardian type to protect and to serve. 
But a lot of times, young officers, when they're leaving the academy, will say, I want to go to South Central because I want to kick butt. Mm, not the best way to approach a neighborhood because then you wind up stigmatizing the entire neighborhood. So what we have to do is bridge that gap. And we have very specific ways of doing that, but like a lot of things, it's never invested in. So I'm hoping that we can really invest the resources in very specific programs. An example is community safety partnership where police work closely with neighborhoods begin to learn the neighborhood, build relationships with the neighborhood so that they understand that, you know, a neighborhood might have a problem with crime, but that does not mean that everybody in the neighborhood is a criminal. And if you treat everybody like that, then you're never going to have the type of trust that is needed. So District 37 is basically going across the entire city. And so I'm curious, you know, how are you bringing people together from those different neighborhoods to have collective conversations about different topics? Well, I'm an activist and an organizer at heart. Uh, I ran for office a little later in life, so I had a lot of experience organizing neighborhoods. And um, uh, uh, several years ago, I went south of here where we really had a lot of problems and brought people together to look for solutions to crime and violence. And, uh, and then on the west side, which is where I grew up, um, so what we do in our area, and all of this is pre-COVID because we haven't been able to gather much since COVID, but we have town halls and community meetings. One of the things is, is to educate the constituents that they're actually in the same district. So on the affluent side of town and in the heart of South Central Los Angeles, we're actually all the same congressional district. And that's been helpful for people to understand because it's introduced people to neighborhoods that they actually weren't even aware of. So there's a tapestry of different elected officials in Los Angeles, in greater Southern California area in California. So wondering if you could tell me a little bit about kind of earlier days in your career working in the state legislature or working with the state of California in terms of connecting to larger visions of California and Los Angeles. Sure. Well, after spending 14 years uh, doing community organizing in South Central Los Angeles and trying to address the gang issue, the crack cocaine issue, and coming up with ways to uh, intervene and, and reduce crime, uh, I was elected to a state office. And what I did up there is worked on some of the same issues. Because, you know, when we went through that time period of getting tough on crime, passing legislation like three strikes and all, and we, you know, at the time, we didn't use the term mass incarceration, but that's what we did. And unfortunately, we, we incarcerated people from specific zip codes. So when I got up to uh, Sacramento, I worked on legislation, criminal justice reform. We also passed legislation, not we, <laughs> legislation was passed that uh, continued to punish people after they left off, after they left prison. Let me give you one extreme example. In the state of California, in the prisons, we teach people how to be barbers, but if you've been in prison, you can't get a barbering license. So that's kind of ridiculous. You want people to be um, in, integrated into the legal economy. So we had to, when I was up there, I had to undo laws that were passed. Unfortunately, politicians, and I can say this because I am one, politicians will pass laws to get elected because it looks good on their mail and their advertisement, but they don't think for one minute about the consequences of the laws that they pass. And in an effort to reduce crime, you actually wind up stigmatizing communities where people who are not incarcerated anymore cannot work. Well, if you can't be a part of the legal economy, what do you think people do? Uh, special shout out to Homeboy Industries that I've been working with yes. for a long time, uh, and also Defy Ventures is 
in that fight as well. So really amazing there. So thinking about the ecosystem of Los Angeles, you know, between corporates, universities, risk capital, entrepreneurs, and governments, I'm curious how you want to bridge those connections so that we're able to make this inclusive innovation economy. Well, after spending many years of building coalitions and collaborations, boy, have we ever needed one now. So you're in a city like this that has everything, all of the resources, the knowledge, the skills, and then you have 40,000 people living outside. So to me, it's not a question of the problem being unsolvable. It's a question of politicians taking the risk to solve the problems, but also involving the population in doing it. I think that one of the things we suffer from as Americans in our American culture is that we're pretty apolitical. I mean, we think that we vote and then that's it but we don't really put a lot of value on civic involvement and participation. We think all we need to do is vote and then those politicians are supposed to solve all the problems and when we don't solve all the problems and everybody gets mad at us, <laughs> but we have to begin to change our culture to understand that these problems are everybody's responsibility. So I'm hoping that we can really do that, that we can capture and channel all of the wealth and knowledge and brilliance that the city has and solve some of these problems. So it's been said that maybe too much that education is the silver bullets. And so, you know, the Los Angeles Unified School District is one of the largest districts in the country. And so I'm curious how you're thinking about aligning teachers with parents, with neighborhoods, to be able to educate the youth of tomorrow. Well, and I do believe that, but one of the problems that we're facing, again, the pandemic. A lot of our kids have been out of school for two years. And, and I really worry about the elementary grades because, you know, watching little kids try to Zoom, you know, a six-year-old try to Zoom for four hours a day to get educated. I mean, there's going to be a big gap. And so even before we start talking about how to move education in the future, we have to deal with what students lost over these last two years, especially students in lower income uh, neighborhoods where their parents were not able to afford tutors or other ways to, feel, to fill the gap. And I believe that that's issue number one. Myself, uh, where I want to focus on education is actually the children who are also in those tents are in cars. There's 5,000 kids that are unhoused, and many of them that you have some schools where they have large populations of homeless children. So yesterday we had Issa Rae on stage talking about how she's going to make a studio in South LA. Yes. Earlier today we had Jeffrey Katzenberg on stage. And so it's hard to be in Los Angeles and not talk about Hollywood and the studio system. So curious as to your relationship with the media and figuring out how we're able to continue making this an amazing tinsel town. Well, absolutely. The entertainment industry is very, very important to me personally, my district. I also represent Culver City. And so a lot of the big uh, companies and studios are in, are in my district. And one of the first things that, um, that I focused on when I was in the state legislature were the film tax credits, because I think LA took for granted that we were the home of the film industry. And in the years I was in Sacramento, I watched Atlanta and New York and, I mean, Toronto was a long time ago, watching all of the cities around the country and our industry fleeing. And so um, they did, those cities did things to recruit the entertainment industry away from us. So we're beginning to build that back. You know, we introduced film tax credits around uh, 09 and we've been expanding on it ever since, but we need to do much more to uh, facilitate the industries, the film industry, the tech industry uh, in our area here. 
And so, telescoping out a little bit, uh, I know that you've been doing a lot of work on the continents, and so I'm curious as to how you're thinking about Los Angeles, the United States, working on the continents, and also going back the other way, and what are the bridges that we can make in that process? He's referring to the continent of Africa. In Congress, I chair the subcommittee on Africa and go spend a lot of time going back and forth uh, to the continent. My focus in Africa is really promoting U.S. business involvement and uh, um, trade with the continent. So in Los Angeles, you know, the bulk of our trade is looking east, you know, and also, of course, uh, Canada and Mexico. But what I hope to do is to expand that to other areas. And um, even though I talked about, you know, not losing film production, um, introducing the film industry to the continent of Africa and in some countries specifically that are very interested in expanding. So you just flew in this morning, I think it was? Maybe it was late yes, last night? Yes, I, no, I landed a couple of hours ago. I was uh, at the State of the Union last night. So if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about the State of the Union, and <laughs> I know that you've been going, maybe not a couple of years ago, but, you know, been going for a number of years. So what are some of the highlights that you were really encouraged by going to the State of the Union? First of all, the State of our Union is strong. That's what the president said yesterday. <laughs> Uh, it, it was exciting to be there. That's a, it's a real kind of celebratory occasion, except for it was a mix of emotion yesterday. You know, started off very somber, uh, talking about the Ukraine. And, and it was, you know, the feeling in the room of while we were there talking about the Ukraine, knowing that people were dying at that very moment. And, uh, you know how crazy partisan it is in Congress, but that was the time that was the unifying part. Uh, of the message. But, you know, it was uh, great. You know, I mean, I have to tell you, I mean, those other four years that we went through it was just, you know, where every time a message was given, you know, the world's falling apart, all this very negative. Uh, it was uplifting and, and inspirational and hopeful. And we're going through tough times now economically. I mean, I was driving uh, around LA a couple of days ago and saw a gas station that had gas prices over $6 a gallon. And so what we're going to face in the time period coming up is that if we uh, cut off uh, oil from Russia, then we're all going to have to experience that pain. That's going to be a big challenge for the president if he goes in that direction to convince the American public that we have to absorb this pain. So inflation is a real issue. And we passed the first infrastructure package, but we do need to deal with issues like childcare. He talked about childcare, families not needing to spend more than 7% of their income on childcare. He talked about a lot of other provisions. I mean, insulin. You know, um, we met a family a year ago where the mother lost her son because he didn't want to tell his mom that he didn't have money to pay for his insulin, so he started rationing his insulin. And I mean, that's just crazy, the price of prescription drugs. So he talked about very specific things he wanted to address, but overall it was an uplifting, inspirational evening. So I know that you always have a full docket of initiatives that you're trying to get through. And so if you could just talk about, you know, some that are kind of burning brightest for you right now that you're trying to push through. Oh, sure. Um, I'm working on the reauthorization of our major trade bill with the continent of Africa is one thing on the international side. Uh, domestically, I introduced legislation yesterday. You know, we've been going through criminal justice reform in our country after all of those years of locking everybody up. We're beginning to rethink things now. And so um, in my point of 
of view, when we've talked about criminal justice reform, we've really only talked about men. We've not talked about women or children, and women are one of the fastest growing sectors of people being incarcerated. And so I introduced a comprehensive bill, bipartisan, by the way, uh, to address women being incarcerated, why women get arrested, what happens when they're in prison, what happens when they come out, because the overwhelming majority of women are also mothers. What happens to their children in the foster care system? There's a whole cascade of events. And I'm worried that now that we're experiencing an uptick in crime, I'm worried that we're going to do what we've done before, which is say, all those reforms caused this problem. Let's throw them out and let's go back to locking everybody up. And that's just a very painful thing that I hope doesn't happen. Here in Los Angeles, when we're talking about the people that are unhoused, one of the main reasons why people are unhoused is because they suffer from mental illness and substance abuse. And in Los Angeles, we say that we have the most expensive mental health institution in the country. It's our local jail. That is what we have done in this country. And one of the initiatives that President Biden talked about yesterday was mental health. We have got to figure out, and we know when, when the history is written on the pandemic, we're going to look back and see that the pandemic really impacted us terribly, and especially in the area of mental health. So I know we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, so coming back to Los Angeles, you know, between the World Cup, the Super Bowl, the Olympics, LA is on the world stage many times over. So for the city of Los Angeles, the greater LA area, what are some of the elements that you're most excited to see happen? Well, I'm definitely excited to see all those events. I mean, we just had the Super Bowl. Hey, let's go. <laughs> I'm excited to see all that happen, but I'm hoping that all of these events in L.A. being on this stage, I'm hoping that that will really give us the energy to address our problems. Because if we don't, then what's going to happen is, is that we're just going to move all those people on the street out of the way, but we're not going to do anything for them. We have got to get people housed, but then we have to address why they're unhoused to begin with, the mental illness, the substance abuse, the veterans, the people who were formerly incarcerated, the foster youth who we just put on the street after they turned 18 because we cut them off of benefits. So I'm hoping that we can capture all of that positive energy about L.A. being on the stage and using that because, as I said before, we have everything we need here. So why can't we capture that energy and use it to get us across the finish line? Well, Congress member, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the thank time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.